O Christ our God, the light that illumines the world, shine the light of your love and compassion upon us, that we may be vessels of your grace throughout the world. For you are holy always, now and ever, into ages of ages. Amen. So I was kind of dreading talking about this. <laughs> but at some point you just realize we need to talk about it. So I'm going to set this down. So today in the world we live in, we're given a tough choice to make on many social issues, such as the issue of people who want to change their gender. The choice we're given is this. Should I be a compassionate and loving person, or should I be loyal to God and His teachings? Most of us in this room have grappled with this tough choice, and many of us have already chosen one way or another. I'm going to move it down a little bit. The way we've made this choice is we might have said, I can't look at this person's suffering and ignore it. And so we choose compassion. Or conversely, we've said, I can't in good conscience support something that is so far from what God has revealed to us. So we choose that side of being faithful. It's a very difficult dichotomy to be compassionate or to be faithful. So let me be very, very clear. This is a false choice. A false choice is one in which two choices are proposed as opposites. In this case, to be compassionate or to be faithful. The choice is presented and then we're forced to decide between the two. And then we feel like we have to be loyal to our decision. So we might think, oh, since I want to be faithful to God, I can't be empathetic to someone who's struggling with his or her gender because showing compassion might make me appear to be unfaithful to God's teachings. Yet all of this is within the context of the false choice. So my proposal to all of you today is this. Don't be forced into the false choice. Do both. Show complete and Christ-like compassion and love for people who struggle with their gender, and also show full fidelity, faithfulness to God in His revelation of truth. Today I hope to offer a more complete understanding of both sides of the false choice and how both are essential to us. On the one side I'll talk about what we Orthodox believe in relation to gender and the human person, and on the other side, I'll talk about what compassion looks like, because it's actually much more specific and nuanced than we realize. First, a little side note about the word gender. Today, I will use only the word gender, not the word sex. By gender, I mean a pers- whether a person is biologically male or biologically female. In recent years, this word has been transformed into another meaning. However, I'll retain the biological meaning that's prevailed in our language for, until recently. Does everyone understand what I mean by that? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, we can have everybody move forward. There's standing in the back. and might just in the front. Actually, the, the, the one standing in the back, I have room right here for you. Come on up, guys. And girls. Come on. I see each and every one of you. You can't walk away now. There we go. You too, Ted. Come on, Ted. <laughs> we have plenty of seats here. Plenty of seats.
And uh, Deacon or someone, if you can just keep encouraging people to come up in front. It's okay. It's already started. There we go. Chris gets the extra star. (laughs) So part one is what we believe is orthodox. We believe and the church professes that God desires the most beautiful and blessed life for each and every one of us. In this world and in the world to come. If we allow him, he will inaugurate such a life for us, the best life that we could have. Our Lord said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. There's a little bit of a ring on this. I don't know if we can change that. I'll just move it even further away. You all can hear me still well, right? Okay, if not, let me know, okay? So again, our Lord said, I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. He will give us the best life that we can have in this life and in the life to come. This is His promise. He will give us the best life, not by our misguided standards, but by the standards of a God who loves us more than we love ourselves. However, if we don't really believe that God will do that, or we think that He doesn't really know what's best for us, then instead we'll cling to our own ideas of what a blessed and beautiful life look like, and we'll pull ourselves away from Him, pursuing things that have the illusion of joy and contentment, but which give no lasting peace. In His love for us, God allows us to do that. He allows us to push Him away and go down our own path. In this sense, every one of us is a new Adam and a new Eve, who's faced with the same decision that the first ancestors faced. As Christians, we also believe that from the very beginning, God made humans binary, male and female. By this, the human race could be fruitful and multiply over the face of the earth. We can become co-creators with God by taking part in the creation of a new human being after receiving the blessing from God through the sacrament of marriage. This distinction between male and female is not simply about procreation. Men and women are different in numerous ways. We are two halves of the human race, diverse in our gifts and skills and attributes, but created equal. As St. Paul says in Galatians, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ we see the fulfillment of what it means to be a human, male and female. We also believe that one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is our own body. Our body is our partner towards salvation, and we can only pursue sanctification, theosis, while we have our bodies. When we leave this life and this body, we can no longer work out our salvation. Thus, our body is our partner in salvation. Every action we take with our bodies, including our thoughts, which are the function of our brains, is either toward God and salvation or away. Every single action. And each and every human being is endowed by God with specific attributes. And each human being is of infinite value to our loving God. To be clear, we do not earn God's love by our actions or by our ascetical labors. We already have His full and complete love exactly as we are from the moment of our conception. 
However, our actions determine how close we make ourselves to God. Through sinful actions, we bring ourselves away from God. He doesn't remove himself from us. So is that clear? In our actions towards good, it's not that God is coming closer to us and favors us more, but rather that we are drawing ourselves closer to God. His love for us is constant and complete at all stages of our life. Remember that the word sin, amartia in Greek, means to miss the mark. When we're sinning, we're simply aiming towards something other than God. So our movement is naturally away from God. Again, He's not moving away from us, but rather we from Him. The result of sinning is not that we get punished or that we're condemned. The result of sin is simply inherent to what sin is. It is a movement away from the source of life. And as such, it naturally results in corruption and ultimately death. Each sin causes corruption to the soul. The Greek word is a descriptive word, thorah. Every time that we sin, every time that we move away from God, our soul is wounded. The thorah spreads, the corruption spreads within our soul. We become sick spiritually, but also emotionally, psychologically, and even physically. Some of these wounds are very, very deep. Some fester for years, untreated. Some are completely denied by us, which doesn't make them disappear, but rather they fester even more, causing greater spiritual sickness. We cannot deny the reality of when we have a wounding to the soul. We can, do, we can deny that, but it doesn't make it go away. It is always there until it is treated. Again, there's no conception of punishment within this. Death and corruption are the natural consequences of moving away from life, away from God. He's not punishing us for our sins. Rather, we're causing ourselves, within ourselves the outcome of rejecting life, that is, death. Some of the deepest wounds that people have aren't even caused by themselves. For example, think of a child who is abused. She didn't cause the abuse. She didn't sin in some way. However, another person's sin has formed a deep and lasting wound upon her soul, one which can only be healed, only be healed, by years of patient work, the work of forgiveness. We believe that everyone is sick. Everyone sins. Everyone has thorah, corruption of the soul. Lastly, we believe that who we are is who God made us. Who we are is who God made us. Period. We are not self-made, despite how much we desire to recreate ourselves through social media or in real life. We are created beings created by a loving God who knows us better than we know ourselves and loves us better than we love ourselves. Who we are is who God made us. When there's a dichotomy, an opposition between who we are and who we think we should be, it means that something inside of us has rejected our God-given identity. There's a very deep wound which has caused us to turn upon ourselves and to reject ourselves. In no other aspect of our lives do people make such an utter rejection, not in ethnicity, not in family heritage, only in gender. 
In these issues of gender, we as Christians must remember the wound and where it lies. The tragedy of the world we live in today is that those who struggle with these issues are told that their wound doesn't exist. That the real wound is that they were born wrong. This is a great tragedy. They are told that rejecting who they are will give them peace. But the wound persists, it festers, and the tragedy becomes greater. As Christians, we must strive to tend the wound, the real wound. This is delicate work and it requires the tool of compassion. Compassion for the one who is wounded, seeing seeing the wound for what it is, not what our world imagines it to be. So that's about what we believe is orthodox. The next part is how do we be compassionate? I've spent a lot of time describing things before talking about compassion. The reason is that we have to point our compassion in the right direction. Compassion is to share in another person's suffering. It's an attribute of God, often mentioned in our prayers. In fact, the first prayer in the liturgy says, And grant us and those who pray with us your abundant mercy and compassion. This is our prayer every time that we say the liturgy. Throughout the Old Testament, God's compassion is mentioned, as in the Psalms where it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. In the New Testament, it talks about Jesus' compassion. In the Gospel of Matthew, we hear that He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And in the Gospel of Luke, when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. As Christians, we are enjoined to show compassion to all people and share in the suffering of all people. So where do we direct our compassion? For a person who struggles with their gender, their suffering is not on the surface. It's not the fact of gender, but rather the deep wound that's causing this rejection of an aspect of their identity. Now some Christians have approached compassion in the wrong way because they've accepted the false choice that I mentioned at the beginning, thinking the only way they can be compassionate is by accepting. So they believe that the compassionate response is to go along with the person's rejection of gender. Our compassion must be directed toward the spiritual wound, not toward some outward solution involving a change of gender. We must tend to the wounded soul. Because any outward change will not change the corruption that that person has in their soul. The corruption that all of us have in our soul. You think of it like you have this gnawing sense of misery and anguish. And if you're a woman, you go in the mirror and put on makeup. Does that make that gnawing go away? It doesn't. It's all external. We have to tend to the soul. And this is truly a great tragedy in our world. Our world has said, you don't have a wound. Don't worry about it, you don't have a wound. In fact, there is no gender dysphoria. There's only the pain and sadness at feeling broken and spiritually wounded. This is a great tragedy, one that our teens especially feel, but one which each of us face in varying degrees. We're all broken, all having wounds upon our soul. For those who wish to reject their gender, a deep and gaping wound must exist. A wound which can be healed by God's grace. 
The solution is not to cover it up with a cosmetic bandage. So I've given a lot of the language of the church, not so that you can use it to convince and convert others. That's not the purpose of this talk. But so that you can have compassion, which is seasoned with right knowledge. I'd like to close with a scenario. Someone walks into the door of our church and clearly appears to be struggling with gender identity. What would you do? How would you approach him or her? I hope that you'll have compassion and kindness. With the awareness that a wounded person stands before you, just as you stand wounded before God. We will be encountering this in a more personal way if you haven't already. And I wanted you to know how to respond and how I will respond as well. So before I open up to questions, I just wanted to offer uh, two other small notes. One is that, and this is a personal belief, so this is not anything that is greater than that, but I do believe that the harmful and sinful gender stereotypes that we have are a huge factor in gender confusion. When a boy compares his masculinity to the hyperinflated versions seen in popular culture, it's no wonder that he might feel uncomfortable and out of place. The masculinity that he doesn't live up to that he feels he doesn't live up to is a sinful and hollow shell of what manhood is and what manhood is within the context of the church. Likewise, a young girl staring at the over-sexualized caricature of femininity would do well to reject it. But this is not rejecting womanhood, only rejecting the woman she thinks she needs to be in our society. It's no surprise that gender confusion is on the rise when we embrace sinful distortions of manhood and of womanhood. This is a great tragedy. The last thing I wanted to mention is about pronouns because that's the very practical thing that we have to face. We can't deny reality. However, however, in most interactions, in most situations, we don't have to make that decision. So don't be anxious about it. Don't be anxious. If you encounter someone in a store, you don't have to use a particular pronoun. You're talking to them. You see, most of the time this is a, a concern that we're not actually encountering in real life and doing. But I will say, if you encounter it in real life, give it some thought. Give it some prayer. Because you have a very wounded person before you. And to simply accept what they are proposing as reality doesn't heal them at all. But at the same time, we need to be compassionate. So I don't want to offer a clear, concrete answer other than to say the better thing is to refer to them as they are in God's eyes. That's the better thing. But the situations are so specific. Um, maybe if you want to come up to me afterwards and talk about it, if you're actually facing it. But I would venture to say most of us in this room are not actually facing that decision of whether I say he or her about a person. Okay? You can always use the person's name instead of using a pronoun. So there are simple ways to move around this in a, in a compassionate way. Um, I think that's about it.
So at this point, I'd like to open up to questions about what I presented, about things that you're facing, anything. And I don't know that I have all the answers, but I will, I will try. Or is it all just a lot to, to process? Again, as long as we are keeping in mind the tragedy of the deep wound that exists inside of our fellow human beings, we'll do the right thing. We will. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, it's um, it's kind of like when someone says, "Oh, I don't believe in God." You could say, "Oh, I don't believe in the God you think of either." Right? Like when someone says, "I don't identify as a man." In your head, you can say, "I probably don't identify with the man you think you need to be." You could probably say that. Don't say it out loud. But, <laughs> but, but that's what we have to recognize is when we hear man, woman, male, female, we're automatically assuming these are two concrete and uh, defined terms. And they're not. They're not. Within our world, these two terms have so many different meanings. And there are situations, I'm sure our high schoolers could talk about situations, of all kinds of wretched abuse for people who don't conform to whatever the particular thing needs to be. And that, that right there is the causing of the wound, the causing of the harm on that person's soul. So, And God forgive us if any of us are ever a part of that kind of thing. Any questions? Yeah. Can you help us better understand um, the, the You mean like a child in your life? Or you're just saying sort of broadly in society, children like that? Yeah. So one thing I would say is don't talk about it if it's not related to you. Um, we talk about all kinds of hypotheticals of this and that's and what, would, what should be done in that situation. So if it's something that's removed from you, don't face it. But if you're facing uh, you know, a child in a class or your own child or a godchild or siblings for, or a child's friend or something like that, um, I think to come back to what, is it, what are you talking about when you mean a man or a woman? I think really that is because, but, but part of it is the, the, the crucial piece that's missing for people who are outside of the faith is that God loves us and has a better plan for us than we could ever imagine. That's the piece that's missing. So if it's someone who's of the faith, you can say that. This is who God made you. And He has an amazing, beautiful plan for what that life will look like. And I will tell you that there are many different forms of men and many different forms of women out there that are all perfectly and God-blessed. Perfectly God-blessed. So, again, we're trying to make it into just this dichotomy of there's male and there's female. But what multitude there is within each of those. And that's really what the child is not identifying with, is what they think their gender is. So... 
Okay, so I guess partly, one last thing, to steer them towards aspects of their own gender that are more relatable to them and their own God-given personality. So, yes, James. Um, reviewing this and looking at it, I realized I judge him. Yeah. I just flat out judge him. And mm-hmm. I realized, well, it's not so good. But I'm realizing I'm facing it. Yeah, so James says that he's recognizing he judges people who are uh, outwardly expressing all of the pain of their soul. And, and what we have to do is we have to look at that like um, this is from uh, Abba Nikon, who was a Russian um, spiritual father a hundred years ago. He gave an example to a spiritual child about when we see people's sinfulness on the outside or their struggle with sin and, and pain. We have to think like we're in a hospital. Does the doctor go around and say, Oh, you stupid blind person. Why are you like that? Right? But this is what we do in the world. This is what we do. We have to see it as a hospital. Patrick? Well, I imagine a common uh, occurrence in uh, school, at least, for, for kids, is that mm-hmm. you have a classmate who's yeah. you know, homosexual or gender-confused or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can, I wonder if you could give some guidance on how, like... I would think it'd be fine to be friends, but where the lines might blur is where is if then they asked you what you thought at some point of your lifestyle, and you then you you know you kind of like yeah. get the truth yeah. because you don't want to offend them. And it seems like there's a you could speak the truth in a compassionate way, mm-hmm. and if they still want to be friends, we're fine. Is that is that? Yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, I, so the so the question is about um, kids who are in school and facing this, as I'm sure all, most of you could probably nod about this that you're facing this. Um, the the question is about if you have someone who might be a friend or an acquaintance who is you know expressing whatever it may be. Um, how how do you navigate that? And I would say it requires a lot of discernment. I, we can't be too prideful about our own susceptibility. Um, so the safer path, which is a compassionate path, is to have a little bit of a distance. That distance you cover in fervent prayer because you are truly concerned about what is going on in that person's life. But sometimes to be close to a person as far as lots of conversations and things, it's really difficult. And the temptations for us to just sort of, well, I guess. Well, you have to recognize, to be really blunt, and especially for our teens, is when you are affirming, you are helping to cover up the wound. That's what you're doing. You're perpetuating the wound. In some sense, becoming another person causing more of that wound. They will not find resolution and peace until the wound is addressed. And you may not be the person to ever bring it up to them, to ever help them through that process. You probably aren't going to be the person. But at least you can address it in prayer for them. That's the least that you can do. If you care about them at all, pray for them. Otherwise, you don't care if you're not going to pray for them. Just as you pray for anyone else. Had a hand in the back. Yeah. Um, so I actually do have a friend who's struggling with this, but uh-huh. they're not trans per se, but she has uh, kind of neither. Uh-huh. And instead of calling, she wants to call her a different name to initially and like say that pronoun. And I'm not exactly sure. It's so, like the whole just calling them by their name doesn't work for me. So I'm just like, what should I call her? 
Well, you're, you're never going to use the third person pronoun in front of them. Right? Yeah, or if you're just saying like a proper noun name, if they want a different proper noun name, so be it. Right? That's just a name. It doesn't have any particular meaning. But when we're talking about pronouns, you never use a third person pronoun in front of someone. Right? It's impossible to. Think about it grammatically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, using a different name it would be fine. But again, the, this is where it gets into very delicate water. If we start to lose sight of what is actually going on in their lives, then again, we're perpetuating the wound. We're perpetuating the wound. There's something there in your friend's life that you may never be the one to sort out and figure out or any of that. But just to at least recognize within yourself, there's something there. And it pains my heart and I desire through prayer that God will enact healing in that person's life. Nathaniel. So what, in the Orthodox perspective, then what is the essence of manhood and womanhood? <laughs> That's another conversation. So question is, uh, what is the essence of manhood and womanhood? I will venture to say that we have so many different disparate ideas that that's a big conversation. It's a big conversation. Um, I will say that we can't abandon anything that the, the New Testament teaches us about that, like in Ephesians, talking about the roles within a marriage. But those have to, in our present world, they need so much unpacking and explanation. So we could have that conversation sometime, but I, I couldn't answer that quickly for you. So, yeah. So, um, as far as children in school, of course, I homeschool my kids. Yes. Um, they have public school friends. Yeah. Um, and I, I have heard that sometimes the schools at a very young age may be pushing this idea that, well, you can question your yeah. you know, gender. Are you a yeah. boy or a girl? And if you feel like you might, like when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I was a huge tomboy. Mm-hmm. People might be surprised to know that. I thought boys' games were boring. Everyone, Leah was a tomboy. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll bring the, the nut of her question to you, yeah. So I climbed trees. Yeah. You know, I jumped my bikes off a ramp. Yeah. Trees. You know, I did, I did not. Yeah. And even then there was a term for someone who doesn't fit the, the stereotypes. Really, it's the stereotypes of femininity. Like, think, you think about the, the phrase tomboy, okay? So, is anyone who's a tomboy less of a woman? Of course not. Of course not. Those things that are referred to as feminine are things that can go out the window. They may be a part of a woman, or they might not be. Right? So that starts to get it. So your, your so question in is... In light of that, my concern is... Yeah. In, the, in our society, yeah. if, let's say, a girl were showing those kinds of yeah. So, so there. Yeah. So, if you face this, just you know, this is really a question for parents of kids in school, and probably more kids in public school. And that's fine. That there's there's a good education to be had there. Um, but it, it's to realize that when our children have the. Uh, this is getting really loud again. Can we turn it down a little bit? I don't know. Or I'll hide it. Um, when, when we have uh, 
the awkwardness and angst and questioning that virtually every single teen has, that doesn't mean the solution is a permanent and unalterable change to our body, our physiology, and everything about us. Everyone has questions. Everyone has awkwardness. Everyone doesn't feel like they belong. Everyone doesn't feel like they fit in. That's part, especially, of the stage of adolescence. So, so that's, it's more of a parental concern to, to have that conversation like what I just described just now. So, uh, Ava? <coughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, and if you don't mind, I'll share that Ava goes to a Christian school, and so the perspectives there are somewhat a little bit in line with what I described. But she's talking about very negative, and you even described it, I think, as hateful language. Um, walk away. Don't try to be the savior to convert people on either side. Whether it's people that are irreparably angry and, and resentful towards people struggling with gender, or the people who are just gung-ho, go, this is the new way. Either one, walk away. We don't need to be the savior of them. So our prayers are more effective. And we don't really believe that. We kind of think prayer is like that thing we do on the side. But our prayers are far more effective. How can you speak into someone's soul? I certainly don't have that ability. If my words happen to pierce your souls right now, that's God's grace. So don't, don't converse. That would be my advice. All the time, everywhere. Yeah. You can override this comment. Yeah. Okay. But the one thing we cannot do uh-huh. is when we are witnessing the actual bullying of a human being, whether they are gender confused, oh, yeah. homosexual, or of any other yeah. issue, we as kids, we as adults, cannot remain silent in yeah. that mode. Here, here. And so, I, and the, but the part of the problem is yeah. how do we teach our children that? comfort or whatever to step into that fray. So our children, our young adults, our teens have the opportunity to be martyrs. Isn't that great? You can be like the saints of old. Anyone who is being abused, hurt, ridiculed, whether because they're the most conservative this or that, or the most liberal this or that, whatever it is, you have the chance to step in. You have the chance to step in. And the weird thing is, you could have views very different from that person that is being abused. But by stepping in, you're joining them. That is compassion. That is true compassion. Joining in their suffering. Even though it's a suffering that you can't relate to at all. So, that, I, I encourage boldness in that. It doesn't mean... 
you know, where it gets kind of secondhand is like people talking badly about someone. You know, you just say, I don't feel comfortable with that. You don't need to say, stop doing that. That is so, you know, figure out a way. But, but when we're talking about a situation where people are actively being abused, receiving it, then we need to step in. Yeah. Um, Maria. And a few more minutes. Do we need to pray for friends of friends who struggle with this? Except yeah. their friends are doing or are struggling. And oh, do we need to pray for our friends? Yeah. Yeah, so do we need, who do we need to pray for? Everyone. So if you have specific names, that's better. If you have specific concerns, that's good. So yeah, pray for everyone. If you have a friend that you feel like is susceptible to this way of thinking, you can pray for them. Your words likely won't have much of an effect. So that's why the prayer. Three minutes, says our, our Sunday school director, Eric. Yeah. Uh, my question is, why are we seeing all this gender dysphoria now? Why are we seeing this now? I mean, it seems to me like it's part of a deliberate propaganda thing. Well, it, so, the, the, so Eric is saying, why are we seeing this all now? And he suggested that it might be sort of part of a deliberate campaign. I'll simply say this. The inertia of our society is now becoming apparent. But this has been going on for a long time. And a big part of that is what I talked about, these really messed up ideas of what it means to be a man or a woman. Truly messed up. And so it's no wonder that people say, I don't really identify with that. I must be this over here. So that's why. Now, of course, there are people who have very different views in the world who are saying, no, this is, this is the way to healing. This is the path to healing. And those people then are, are promoting this kind of thing. But we, we, just, we have to look at it for what it is. It doesn't matter whether someone else believes in God or not. God created them. God loves them more than they love themselves, more than I love them. And God has a beautiful and blessed path for them. Everyone on earth. Everyone. So, the last question. There we go. Um, I have a close relative who is also a close Yeah, those, those situations are very delicate. So uh, she's talking about a relative and also close friend, <coughs> friend who has gone through uh, surgery and um, has now um, pushed away many of the family members because they don't agree with what he's done. So these are very delicate situations. How do you completely wrap them with your compassion? Compassion. And yet, at the same time, you know, to, you know, there are words for it, but it requires a lot of prayer. There are words for it. How you say to the person, I love you so very much. No matter how you are, or who you are, or what you are, I love you. I want you to know that. And then they might say, oh, well, but do you think there's a good thing? I say, 
I, I don't really, I don't really want to have that conversation with you because I love you so much, and I know where that conversation is going to go. So by saying that, you have witnessed to them that you don't agree, but you haven't said that, and they may still be angry. But there, are, there are ways. These situations are just so delicate, so delicate. And again, I'll, I'll beat the same drum: prayer, prayer, prayer. We can't have the discernment for the words unless we seek it from God. So. Thank you everyone for your attentiveness and I hope that this is the beginning of a conversation. If you have anything that you want to talk to me about more specifically, feel free to come up. Um, And then shortly we'll be heading over to Commonwealth Lake to bless all of creation through the blessing of the waters. So please join us for that. If you need directions, they're in the bulletin. But uh, I can give more specific directions if you need it.